millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Censored. I'm Aoife Vrutnach. This episode is a memoir called Roberta Cowell's Story by Herself, an Autobiography. Literally, that is what's written on the front cover. It doesn't have that title author format that you're used to. It is perhaps a little disingenuous because Roberta did have help with this. A journalist called George Audley had at least some hand in it. We associate ghostwriters with celebrity autobiographies, so you're probably wondering who Roberta was and why she was famous enough to justify such a commercial memoir. Well, when she and Audley started to write this book, they were hiding out in a villa in Portofino, with police guarding the perimeter to prevent journalists and paparazzi getting in. The fuss around her started the week before, with a lavish front cover spread in the Picture Post, which was a British photojournalism magazine, kind of a bit like the American One Life. In March 1954, the Picture Post ran Roberta on the front cover, with the tagline, Roberta Cowell's own story, exclusive. She was newsworthy because she was telling the public about her gender reassignment surgery and subsequent official legal registration as a woman. Now, remember, this is 1954, so that's not everyday news. The Picture Post paid Roberta £7,000 for her story, which gives you an idea of the sort of media sensation it generated. Across Britain, other newspapers wrote around this story in the weeks afterwards. Before the Post was printed, it ran ads in other newspapers to trail this edition. One ad read, you can start this amazing story of a man who was a husband and father of two children and who has become a woman. A change unprecedented in the history of the world. It's just a great ad. I would absolutely buy the picture post. And the ads did work. Roberta became instantly and hugely famous. She signed a contract for this autobiography, which was published just a few months later. So although the title suggests it's a tell-all, you could say a lot of it had already been told in the pages of the picture post. Roberta only got £1,400 from the sale of this book, which is a much smaller sum than what the post paid her. So this is a type of celebrity memoir, a text written by a person in the eye of a media storm. It's also a very important memoir in queer history, because Roberta went public. 
at a time when surgical transition was only beginning to be performed. Reading this as we are in the middle of a moral panic about trans women feels kind of weird. Sometimes the similarities in the language about gender are shocking, and sometimes the differences are confusing and jarring. But we'll get into that later. So first off, as usual, I got to choose a drink. And choosing a drink for this brings us right into the questions of gender, almost instantly into the nature-nurture dilemma. When living as Robert, they found beer disgusting because it was part of that overly masculine, tough guy drinking culture. Yet they could drink whiskey, a beverage often associated with men. Roberta doesn't mention if she liked beer after her transition, but she does comment that cooking was suddenly and mysteriously interesting. Not because she liked eating the food, okay, but because it was a feminine thing to do. Personally, I don't think doing the washing up is innately gendered, any more than liking beer is, but those comments are part of what makes this book a polarising read. So to keep me company, I'm going to go for gender-ambiguous whiskey, hoping it'll keep me steady in a world of unstable binaries. So the Irish censors banned this in June 1954, straight after it was published. We don't need to pretend they read it, and this time we don't need to do censorship bingo because the very existence of this memoir wasn't decent enough for them. And they knew about Roberta from the picture post spread. And they didn't just know because they picked up the magazine. They had actually been waging a persistent campaign against the picture post for a number of years. It had been banned seven separate times by the time Roberta appeared on the front cover. You might remember that magazines were treated differently to books and that the bans could be appealed. Most publishers appealed each time, and they were usually successful. So the board had been playing censorship tag with the picture post from the late 1940s to 1954. This meant that Irish subscribers read about Roberta at the same time as their British counterparts, so the censors didn't succeed in keeping her story out of the country entirely. But here's the thing. The Irish newspapers didn't say a word about her. Unlike their British peers, they didn't run commentaries on the picture post story or ads for it. Well, except for the Belfast Newsletter and the Irish Times. It's one of those moments when the stereotype of Protestants as inherently broad-minded or liberal actually rings true. Of course, the Belfast Newsletter wasn't widely read south of the border, and the Irish Times also had a small circulation, so not many newspaper readers in Ireland did hear about Roberta. Contrast that with Britain, where regional and national papers covered the story in detail and more than once. After all, it was human interest. It's sensational, so it's perfect newspaper fodder. So why this silence in the Irish papers? Self-censorship, I'm afraid to say. The board did not write to newspaper editors to tell them not to report on Roberta Cowell's story. They chose not to. I'm fairly sure the subject matter was just impossible to reconcile with their values. The headlines would have had to include the words sex change. And putting the word sex in a headline in 1954 in Ireland 
would have induced hysterics in many readers and journalists. So they left it alone. When the board then banned Roberta's memoir, the chances that her transition could be widely talked about vanished. The story of Roberta Cowell's story in Ireland is one of almost complete silence. At the moment, there are actually two files in the National Archives on the subject of this book, and they are still restricted. So that's nearly 70 years later. Silence is just such a hard habit to break. Anyway, the good news is you can now download a PDF of her memoir online and read it whenever, wherever you like. So what's it like? It's short, very directly written. I wasn't surprised to learn it was written in a month or two. It fairly gallops through her life from birth to 1954. It's also prefaced by testimonials, one by a doctor and one by an Anglican priest. It must be one of the few memoirs with that sort of a commentary built into it. Before I really get into it, I need to talk about pronouns and dead names. Roberta calls herself Robert and has some strong binary views on gender and sexuality. So fitting her into the current language isn't always easy. There are persistent problems of classification. Roberta seems to argue she's intersex, that is, born with female anatomy but wrongly assigned male identity. Yet many people have read this as a memoir of a transgender woman, so less to do with chromosomes and more the inner self. I'm going to stick to transition as a general term, but I'm sure to get wrong someplace. I mean, I'm sorry in advance for when I fucked this up. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now, finally, background explained, caveats over, we can start. These are the first three lines of the memoir. I don't ordinarily start at the very beginning, but in this case, there's a great hook. For the first 33 years of my life, I was Robert Cowell, 
an aggressive male who had piloted a Spitfire during the war, designed and driven racing cars, married and became the father of two children. Since May 18th, 1951, I have been Roberta Cowell, female. I have become woman, physically, psychologically, glandularly, and legal. Glandularly. Sorry, I'm really bad at saying those L's and R's together. But if you overlook my slurring pronunciation, this is a sensational, punchy opening that relies on a binary of male versus female for the hook. Readers will be caught by that rhetorical flourish. I have become woman. Not a woman, mind, but woman the abstract, the eternal. Then she clarifies exactly what defines her. It's physical, psychological and glandular characteristics affirmed by a legal document. Now, she left sexuality off her list, but in the next paragraph she does go into that. She claims she wasn't homosexual when living as a man. In other words, her sexual desires always aligned with heterosexuality. As Robert, he liked women. As Roberta, she liked men. There's a lot to unpack, really, in the persistent denial of homosexuality that runs through this text. Of course, gay sex between men was illegal when this book was published, so you would expect that to colour the narrative. Yet the way gay attraction is discussed is a weird combination of perfect frankness and deep-seated horror. At one point, she says, I was horrified and repelled by homosexual overtures from men when she lived as Robert. I'm not really surprised she condemns homosexuality, but I am surprised that she talks about it so much, as if everyone knows and accepts that sex between men is out there happening all the time. As Robert, he was often propositioned by men. Indeed, Roberta sees this as proof that she was actually feminine. I don't really know how this works. Gay men like men, not women. So if Robert was really Roberta, why would they fancy her? You're probably wildly confused by now because I'm tying myself up in knots trying to figure out the femininity-masculinity binary going on. Today we are more inclined to take gender and sexuality as separate and independent parts of a person but in Roberta's mental universe, they are intimately connected. So the relationship between homosexuality, heterosexuality and gender really creates a lot of anxiety for her. She also really needs to prove that she was never gay, which she takes as proof, as I said, of her femininity. I would argue that it's also proof that toxic masculinity is horrible, but she seems to think that other men were perfectly comfortable in that situation. I suppose what really emerges is how uncaring this memoir is about other people. I'm not sure the narrative has space for other characters or other types of people. Robert is afraid of gay men, but obviously this fear vanishes after transition because she presents as a heterosexual woman. Then, as Roberta, she's quite cruel about other trans women appearing in public. She absolutely does not see her own experiences reflected back at her. I found this kind of sad because she describes her first times wearing makeup in public or walking to shops in women's clothing and how people commented on her. And yet she doesn't extend any empathy to other trans women when they occupy the public space. 
she really sees herself as a universe of one. She uses her surgery to draw a clear, definitive line between herself and other trans people. Physical changes to her body transform her in a way that elevates her above mere transvestites, as she calls them. She is really a woman, but they're only playing dress-up. It didn't occur to her that maybe they didn't have the money or connections or knowledge to access surgical care, or that social transition can be a powerful experience in and of itself. Now look, I'm not condemning her for not using today's language, because that's ridiculous. Understandings of gender and sexuality are as fluid as the things themselves. It was not weird to use the word transvestite in 1954, but the coldness, the judgy attitude, and the smug superiority, it's just hard to take. It's never easy to read a memoir of someone you don't much like, someone you suspect would not be pleasant company. She is, as we like to say, very past remarkable. She comments on people's appearance all the time, weighing up their compliance with gender dress codes. If a trans woman isn't feminine enough for her tastes, she mocks them. Because they haven't surgically transitioned, they are, in her eyes, not really a woman. It's just downright unpleasant at times. What really jars with me, a reader in 2023, and you might feel the same way, is the biological argument that Roberta uses. She decided her feelings about her gender were confirmed by a visit to a sexologist. He identified that her body was partly feminine, not really masculine. And this is a direct quote from the book. He gave it as his considered opinion that my body showed quite prominent feminine sex characteristics. Wide hips and narrow shoulders, pelvis female in type, hair distribution and skin female in type. Other female traits included the absence of laryngeal relief, no Adam's apple, and a tendency of the lower limbs to converge towards the knees. I think this assessment seems wildly unscientific. Are hip and shoulder ratios really that gendered? Does that mean that women cannot have shoulders broader than their hips? This seems alarming much like what the sports bodies are doing by measuring gender through hormone tests. It presumes that science can accurately capture the wild diversity of humans, as if there were no biases in generating normal types, whatever normal is supposed to be. Scientific data is partial. It can only really give us a sense of how human bodies converge and diverge. I mean, that bit about her knees is just pure nonsense. So when a boy is knock-kneed, he's actually a girl, biologically. It made me so cross, this part. When I was growing up, girls were slagged off for being gapped or bandy-legged. In other words, having a large space between their thighs. This was taken to mean loose morals, somehow, that they were riding fellas left, right and centre, as if your skeleton could reflect your sexual behaviour. And now, today, the thigh gap is a thing, because apparently it means you're skinny and work out or some other bullshit. This random, disproportionate importance given to physical characteristics, it's just body fascism. I know Roberta is trying to justify her transition as physically congruent with her biological truth, 
but it just reads as cruel. What if the sexologist hadn't found her knees particularly girly? Would that mean her feelings were not justified? I just, I find this book really difficult. It's driving me mental. And I think part of the problem is that for a memoir, it's didactic. It reads sometimes like an instruction manual. She's grappling with a lot of narratives, of course. She's got those medical explanations that best suit her vision of herself. She's got her biological story before she goes to the sexologist. And then she's trying to work out what the readers want to know. We probably need to consider the imagined reader that Roberta and her ghostwriter were addressing. I honestly don't know what the public thought about transgender people, but reading Roberta's story, I think she thought they didn't know anything. So she has to explain everything, and this can't be easy because it seems very technical. She's not a doctor or a psychologist, and neither is George Augie, her ghostwriter. Now that I think about it, having a ghostwriter must have complicated Roberta's presentation of herself in this memoir. I don't know how much is written by Roberta and how much is written by George. Since this was written really quickly, to capitalise on that celebrity, there probably weren't many full drafts. And we don't know how George ended up doing the job. It was probably the publisher's decision. How much control then did Roberta really have over this text? I know, it says my story by herself, but can we be sure about that? The style is so direct, you'd never think there was another person involved, but ghostwriters are supposed to be invisible. Maybe this is a more unstable text than it looks at first. Maybe it brings the whole idea of herself into question. Now, just to back up a bit, in case you think the book is all about the transition, I have to tell you there are pages and pages about flying, the Second World War and racing cars. So if you're into those, might be worth reading it. Her life as Robert is fully and carefully described, in part to explain her physical and emotional conflict. But honestly, most of it is not about gender or sexual presentation. There's great detail on being a POW in Nazi Germany, what they ate, how they tried to escape. Then there's a long section about trying to found a racing car manufacturing business. These are very interesting insights into Roberta's past. She emerges as a headstrong, stubborn, determined person. If she had close friends, she rarely talks about them here. Her family are similarly marginal to the narrative. As I said before, she comes across as a very solitary and self-contained person. Securing what she did, going through that operation and getting her birth cert changed, it can't have been easy. So it makes sense that someone who refused to take no for an answer in her work would manage to do that. I realise I haven't made Roberta seem very nice or even especially sympathetic. Her views on gender transition, unfortunately, didn't change with times either. In 1972, she still used the same biological framework from the 1950s that validated her choice. When she spoke to the Sunday Times in March 72, she said she was intersex and therefore justified in transitioning, but that anyone with XY male chromosomes were, quote, normal people who've turned themselves into freaks by way of the operation, unquote. 
that meanness, that judgy attitude you can read in her memoir, it didn't go away with time. And she certainly didn't seem to keep in touch with new understandings of gender. But I don't want to end this on such a depressing note, because there's one part of this memoir that stands out. At the very, very end, the last page, Roberta describes going to a formal dance, and the narrative is completely different in tone and style to the rest of the book. We can experience Roberta's inner life here, in a way that you kind of expect a memoir to do now. I'll read a bit of it out because I found it so moving. My hand is on the doorknob. I am trembling violently. Pull yourself together, girl. Yes, all right then. Have another look in that full-length mirror if you think it will give you more confidence. In a few moments, the dream of your life will be coming true. No jerkiness, hands flowing from the wrist, perfect poise. Just behave as though you were quite used to all this. Now I must speak to my host and hostess, and I must keep my voice low and soft. And now I'm dancing, and all the blood in my body has turned to music. The past is forgotten, the future doesn't matter, and the glowingly happy present is even better than I had hoped. I am myself. It's really quite beautiful, especially that line about all the blood in my body has turned to music. And it's such an uplifting end to a book that's full of fear, hatred, and scorn. I can't recommend it as a pleasant read, but her story is a landmark moment in the history of the queer community. She makes a difficult, perhaps uncomfortable hero, but then heroes are overrated. Ordinary people who are unafraid to be their real horrible selves in public is as much a triumph as a noble political agenda. And that's it for now. Please consider supporting me on Patreon or buying some merch, maybe if you like the show. There's more memoir from another woman next time, because I'm into the ladies this season. Till then, keep your hands clean and your minds filthy. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.